I actually had about three or four titles for today's message. Uh, one of them was called Rules of Engagement. The second one was called The Art of War. But I settled on the third one. And it was called Pick Your Battles. Pick your battles, because of something I found myself saying quite a lot recently. When, uh, in a number of situations, when I'm out walking Henry or Gent Labradoodle around the lakes, um, and, uh, you know, there's two, there's two types of situations where I find myself saying that. One is, you know, the yappy wee dogs. You know, the wee ones are like overgrown rodents. If you have one, um, that's okay. Uh, yeah, that, I'm not, I'm not judging you. But you know, the wee ones, I mean, that, that, that no matter how big the dog is, they have to yeah, bark at it. Like, like the, the smaller the dog, the bigger the bark kind of thing. And, uh, and so, you know, we'll, I'll be walking Henry around the lakes and this little overgrown rodent thing on a lead will be, will be walking around and, and Henry will be trying to just mind his own business. He probably can't even see it and it's not even worth looking at. And, uh, and the wee thing will start to go for Henry and I'll just look at it and go, son, pick your bottles. Pick your bottles. But then there's the other situation that happens where you've got this beast of a thing, this big Alsatian or Rottweiler thing. You know, it's the size of a horse and there's like saliva dribbling from its mouth. And you're like trying to keep Henry away. And Henry's like, Arrgh! and I'm like, Henry, pick your bottles. Pick your bottles. Isn't that what we need to do in life? Marry people, men, women. We need to pick our bottles, don't we? We've got a couple of weddings this week. Josh and Amy in our church. Where are they? Oh, there you are right there. I see those hands. Uh, getting married on Wednesday. And uh, one of the things you learn very quickly, well, you've already probably learned that because you've been dating for 47 years, is pick your battles. Pick your battles. Andrew here, who was playing guitar with us today, is getting married on Friday. Pick your battles. You know, that when you get married and there's two people who move into one house together, you're different. And there's going to be things that's hard to believe. I mean, there was never anything here, but there's, for you lot, you lot who aren't as sanctified as us, there will be things that will irritate you. There will be things that your, your spouse will do that aren't the way you would do it. There's things that they will do that aren't the way your mother would have done it. And, uh, and the temptation will be... <laughs> we have touched a nerve. There's, let me repeat, there's things the way your mother would not have done it. Ooh. And you will want to... You, everything within you will want to say, that's not how you do it. Pick your bottles. Pick your bottles. With kids, you pick your bottles, don't you? Like there's some bottles you need to pick with them. If they're being rude, if it's something that will uh, maybe affect their health or harm them in some way, you want to pick your battles. You know, there's some battles that after a while you just go, it's not worth it. You know, like my parents realized that with eating vegetables with me early. You know, it just, uh, you know, I, they used to have me sit there to nine o'clock at night saying, you're not leaving the table till you eat your vegetables, till you eat your greens. And nine o'clock would come and I'd still be sitting there and they'd just go, away to bed. And after a while they just realized, you know what, this kid's perfect in every other way. Um, so, you know, let's just pick our bottles. Let's just pick our bottles. You know, there's some things with Elijah we go, oh, I would like him to do it, but I just want to pick our bottles. You see, in life there's lots of opportunities to get offended. And we live in a world, don't we, that everybody wants to get offended. Like it doesn't take a lot to get offended. We live in that culture where everybody is almost looking for a reason to get offended today. Some of you are already offended in here this morning. And that's okay because it's probably your first week. You'll get used to it. Don't you worry. But uh, 
But we do, like, it's a culture where there's this tension and division and everybody's looking for someone to say something that they can get offended by so that they can create a battle by, so that they can find out what somebody said 15 years ago that was sexist and they can get offended by it today, even though the person's dead. You know, that, that, that people are just looking for battles. But I think we need to pick our battles. We need to pick our battles. There's some things that it's just not worth getting worried about. Maybe it's in friendships. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's with that work colleague that gets on your last nerve. Pick your battles. Not everything is worth a fight. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we uh, look at a very familiar passage from 1 Samuel 17. The story of David and Goliath. And I know I talk about this passage a lot. I just, years ago when I was a teenager, I got a prophetic word that, that, that had some spirit of David, the, some, the same sort of spirit that David had was on me. And I'm not saying I play the harp or kill giants, but, but there's, you know, he was a guy who was passionate about a lot of things. He, he, his passion was able to take down giants, but his passion sometimes got him in trouble. And I can, I can see that in my own life. I'm somebody who's passionate. So I've had to learn to pick my battles, but I love David. That's why I often go back to him. And when I, um, when I talk about picking your battles, I just, I'm not talking about avoiding a physical fight. You know, if you're a Christian, hopefully you don't go around punching people who annoy you. Hopefully you, hopefully that's not how you sort out your battles. Um, when I talk about fighting battles, I'm talking about issues we need to confront. I'm talking about things that we need to stand up for. The times when we have to say that is not okay. I can't tolerate that. I, I can't allow you to behave like that. That is not right. That is wrong. And I can't let you get away with that. It's the lines we have in the sand. It's the times we go, I just, there's a line there and I can't let you cross that. And if you do cross that, that's going to affect our relationship. Because like I said, not all battles are created equal. Sometimes we fight battles that we don't need to fight and we leave a trail of devastation in our path. Sometimes we speak up when we'd have been better to keep quiet. Sometimes we fight battles that God hasn't called us to fight or graced us to fight. And when we do that, we get exhausted. One of the greatest ways to get exhausted and burnt out in life is to fight battles that God has never called you or graced you to fight. Not every battle is yours. People who are always fighting battles get burnt out. They get hard-hearted, they're miserable, and they become people that no one wants to be around because they're always stirring up drama. We all know that one person who's always falling out with people. If you don't know them, maybe it's you. Uh, No, but we all know that one person. Everywhere they go, it's always somebody else's fault. It's always, you know, and they're the only common denominator in the whole thing. They're not fun to be around. They're the sort of people we probably are are better to avoid. So how do we decide? How do we know? How do we discern what battles are worth fighting? There's a number of questions we can ask ourselves. And that's what we're going to see as we look at this passage. And the first question is this, and this is really important. Is humility the posture of my heart? Is humility the posture of my heart? Look at verses um, 17 to 20, I think it is. Yeah. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah uh, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up 
and set out, as Jesse had directed. In the previous chapter, which I preached about two or three weeks ago, remember David was out in the field. Uh, Prophet Samuel comes along. He's looking for the next king of Israel to replace Saul. David isn't even invited to the party. Eventually, after all the seven brothers go by, Samuel says, is there anyone else? David's brought in and he's anointed with oil and declared to be the next king of Israel. He's declared and anointed as the future king of God's people. Now, after that, I would imagine he would be at some sort of king's college, you know. He would be at the royal school, the place of learning how to be a king, the place of elevation and promotion. Where do we find him? He's back with the sheep. He's back in the wilderness. He's back in obscurity, spending his days under the hot sun, looking after stinking dirty animals and fighting off predators. He's back being faithful in the small things. He's back doing what his dad has asked him to do. And then his dad says to him, David, here's what I want you to do. Your brothers are down at the Valley of Ella. I want you to go down. I want you to bring them a wee bit of food, some cheese, some bread. And I want you to check out how they're doing and report back to me. In other words, I want you to be a messenger boy. I want you to bring them some food. You're like Deliveroo, you know. Can somebody say just eat? And uh, and I want you to to, to go down, bring them food, and just come back and let me know how the, the three brothers are doing. Because... I haven't heard from them in a few days. And, and David again could have said, you know what, Dad? You remember Prophet Sammy the other day? You remember the oil thing? I'm the next king. Like, I'm a wee bit above being messenger boy now. Do you not know who you're talking to? I am the future king of Israel here. So maybe you can get one of your servants or one of your skivvies to go and do this because I'm kind of a big deal in case you hadn't noticed. That's not what we read. Look at what it says. Early the next morning he went. Early the next morning. He left his sheep with somebody else. He was responsible with the little things that he had been given to look after. Because when we're faithful with little, God can trust us with much. And he goes and does what his father asks him to do. He remains humble, obedient, and faithful, doing whatever needs to be done. And that's what positions him as we're going to see for the battle. And when he gets there, it's not about his pride and it's not about his ego and it's not about his self-esteem or self-centeredness because let's be honest, a lot of the battles we fight are about us. A lot of the battles are because our pride has been dented our ego has been dented. Or because somebody has offended me and therefore I can't let them get away with it because how will I look if I just let this go? The battle is not about David's pride or ego. It's nothing to do with that. When David sets out, he's not going for a fight. He's not looking for a battle. He's not looking for a giant. He's not looking for conflict. He's just doing what daddy asked him to do. If we were people of humility, we would get into a lot less fights. Like genuine humility. When I talk about humility, I'm not talking about like thinking I am a miserable worm. I'm not talking about that false humility that says everybody's better than me. I'm talking about just seeing yourself as God sees you. I'm talking about seeing yourself as a child of God. I'm seeing yourself as not better than anyone else, but the same, uh, on the same level, but having different gifts than other people but that God is your God and you are beneath him. You see, so many of our battles are about my rights. That's my right. They offended me. I need to get even. I can't let them get away with that. 
When you fight a battle only out of pride and wanting to be right, you've already lost before you've even started. James 4, 6 says this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. He actively stands against the proud. Sometimes we are rebuking the devil when things aren't working out. Maybe God is opposing us because there's pride in our hearts. And God is saying, I don't want you to go any further with that pride in your heart because that pride will destroy you if you go where you need to be until you deal with that pride. God resists the proud, the self-centered, the easily angered, those people who get upset over everything because their ego is so fragile. David had an attitude of this. Whatever my father asks me to do, I'll do it. It might feel like it's beneath me, but I'm going to do it. Because I'm a humble servant. So the first question to ask yourself in any battle is this. Am I coming from a place of genuine humility, or is this about my ego and my pride? The second question is, is this the time? Is this the time? Look at the next few verses. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. So he reaches the valley just as the battle lines are being drawn up. And just as he arrives there and begins to speak to his brothers on the front line, this big guy called Goliath steps out. He's been doing this every day, twice a day, every morning and every evening for 40 days. This guy has been stepping out and taunting and, 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 and criticizing and mocking and, 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 and intimidating the people of Israel. But he only did it twice a day. But it just so happened that David arrived at the exact time that he stepped out and began to speak. If David had been one hour earlier or one hour later, he wouldn't have heard the giant and the battle wouldn't have happened and things would have looked very different. But God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. And God had him there because God wanted him to fight a battle. You see, David didn't go to fight a battle. This is just an aside here, but I think this is important. David wasn't there to fight Goliath. David was there to deliver food and check on his brothers. But God had him there for a different reason. And sometimes we think we're in one place for one reason, but God has you there for a different reason. We think we're here for one reason, But we discover later that God had us there for a different reason. You think you're in the workplace that you're in just to earn some money and pay the bills and pay the mortgage. And maybe that's true. But maybe God has you there to impact the people around you and to change the culture in that place. You think you live in your street because the houses were affordable and nice. And maybe that's true. But maybe God has you there to impact and influence your neighbors, to pray for the sick, to to, to create a culture in that little community and to draw people to Jesus Christ. We think we're there for one reason, but God usually has us there for a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. I was talking earlier to some people 
we're talking about camping and stuff. And I said the last time I was camping was six days after I was ordained in 2006, uh, 16 years ago, when I, I went to Shankill Parish in Lurgan as a curate, and I got guilted in in the first week to go into summer madness. Um, and I only did it because I was newly ordained, and I felt like I had to. And so I'm ordained, and five days later, six days later, I go to summer madness, and that's the last time I ever slept in a tent was 16 years ago, just being honest. Um, uh, and never again. Um, uh, and I went, and I thought I was just there to, they needed another guy to look after, you know, the, the numbers and make up numbers and stuff like that. And, and I thought that was why I was there. And that was why I was there. But I remember one morning I was going to the, the bathroom, and this girl walked past with blonde curly hair. And I thought, Lord, who is she? I wonder what church she goes to so I can stalk her. <laughs> Just being honest, keeping it real with you. I mean, we never say things like that, but I, I, I thought, I wonder what church she goes to so I can stalk her. And I kept seeing her over those few days. And I kept noticing her and going, who is this blonde-haired girl that's so pretty? And I went home that year and that was it. And then a year or two later, I bumped into her again. And a year after that, we got married. And 13 years later, here we are. I thought I was there just to sleep in a tent and look after a bunch of teenagers. And I was, but God also had me there for a different reason. But you don't know that until you're willing to do the little things. If I hadn't been willing to be faithful in the little things, I wouldn't have seen the bigger things, the better things. And maybe you're in a situation right now that doesn't seem to make sense. That you look at what God has called you to do or you look at the life that you'd like to be living and where you are right now doesn't seem to equate to where you want to be. But maybe God has you there for something more than you realize that you're actually there for. See, God's timing is perfect. God was able to orchestrate it that David would arrive at the exact moment that Goliath would step out. And in that moment, something shifted that changed the battle for ever. Here's what I have learned. When it comes to conflict, when it comes to battles, timing is important. Not every battle has to be fought and not every battle has to be fought right now. Yes, there are some things that you need to deal with immediately. I'm not saying there's not. But what I, what I have learned in my own life through my own mistakes and error, see, I used to feel like if somebody sent me an, an email or a message, I had to respond it wasn't responding. I had to react immediately. And if people came with a knife, I responded with a tank. Do you know what I mean? And I always felt like if somebody said something or I heard somebody said so, I always had to react to it. I had to deal with it quickly. And what I learned through my mistakes and through a lot of messes over the years was you don't have to respond to every text or email. And you definitely don't have to respond to them immediately. There's some things that's really good to sleep on. It's amazing how if you send a message at 11 o'clock at night, it's probably not going to be the best message you can send. I know that's a shocker to some of you. But I have done it. And I've woken up the next morning and prayed that the message didn't go through. And it has. We've all done that, haven't we? We've all went, oh Lord, why did I do that? If I'd only slept on, or you get more information the next day. And you're like, oh my goodness, why did I do that? You know, there's sometimes when I actually... When something really annoys me, and I, and there are things you need to confront, I will even leave it for a week. 
before I, if I have to have that hard conversation, I leave it, I leave it until I'm no longer feeling anger about it, but I'm feeling I just need to deal with this. So a lot of the emotion is out of it. And that's a really good question to ask yourself. If I was feeling joy in my heart right now, would I still respond like this? Or am I only responding out of anger? Is this something has to be dealt with right now? And there are some things, and I'm not saying things don't need to be dealt with. There are things that do, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's some things that don't need to be dealt with, and there's some things that don't need to be dealt with right now. And if some of us would only wait for a day, or a few days, or a week, it's amazing how often a situation takes care of itself. Has anybody found that? That if you don't respond two, three days later, the whole thing's taken care of. And this thing that was a huge deal on Sunday by Tuesday has just blown over. But if you had wet into it on Sunday, it would never have blown over. Timing is everything. And that's where we say, God, how do you want me to respond here? But the best thing very often, unless it's an urgent thing that you need to deal with immediately, is to step back and just say to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to respond right now. I'm going to let this anger simmer down a bit. I'm going to let this this frustration just not control. Because when we speak out of anger or frustration, we never are our best selves. But when we speak out of a genuine love and compassion. You see, those conversations that have been really hard, when I have them a week later, I'm having them from a different place mentally and spiritually. I'm looking at the person and I'm thinking, how can we sort this out as opposed to how can I win this argument? And so timing is really, really important. And the next question follows on from this question. The next question is this, and we're getting there. What if I don't deal with this? Ask yourself, what if I don't deal with this? What if I ignore it? What if I don't fight this battle? What's the consequence of outcome, or outcome of ignoring this, of not doing anything about this? In this case with Goliath, it was pretty clear. Look at verses 8 to 10. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The entire future of God's people was at risk here. If Goliath won, if nobody stepped up to fight, the Philistines were going to conquer them. They were going to carry them off as slaves. They were going to carry off their women and children. They were going to carry off their livestock. They were going to occupy their homes. They were going to take their crops. Every single thing that they had worked for was going to be lost. The stakes were high. The battle had to be fought. There was no way around it. Somebody needed to step up and take responsibility and say, I can't talk tolerate this, this has to be dealt with. They couldn't ignore it as much as they wanted to because the outcome was too important. And you know, in our own lives, yes, there's battles we don't need to fight. They're just not that important. But there's some things and some issues and some situations and some people that we simply have to confront. The cost for avoiding the conflict is too high. There's too much at stake to leave it alone. We might not want to. Israel didn't want to. Saul didn't want to. But somebody had to. Because Goliath wasn't going to go away, you know. They got up on day 40 and he said, I haven't gone away, you know. 
What did they think was going to happen? On day 41, Goliath was going to go, guys, I've decided I'm going home. I'm bored. No. The enemy wasn't going away until somebody confronted him. And there's some things in our own lives and in our own situations and our own worlds and our own jobs and our own families and our own church. Whatever that is, there are some things that if you don't deal with it, it will persist because what you don't resist persists. If you're not willing to deal with some things, don't think it's going to go away. Don't think by burying your head in the sun. There are some things that you have to confront. You mightn't want to. You mightn't like it. You might be nervous. You might be fearful. But you have to do it simply because the stakes are too high. While there's some people who seem to fall out with everyone, there's some people who seem to cause fights everywhere they go. Do you know what the problem is with many of us? Is that we never fall out with anyone. We're never willing to confront anything. We're never willing to actually step up and raise our voice and let our voice be heard and say, that is not right. I cannot tolerate that. That is rude. That is obnoxious. That is harmful. That is detrimental. That is contrary to the word of God. I cannot have that. There's people who will do anything to avoid conflict. They have no convictions. They accept any sort of behavior. And we see it in the church especially because we think that the greatest goal of following Jesus is to be nice. That Jesus was nice. And therefore, if we follow Jesus, our greatest goal is to be nice. Can I say something to you today? Jesus wasn't nice. He was good, but he wasn't nice. Nice people don't get executed on a cross. Jesus spoke to people. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. He challenged the religious authorities. He challenged the, the people who were, who were criticizing and putting weight on, on those people that God loved. He hung about with the wrong people, even though he knew it would get him a lot of flack. He wasn't nice. He confronted things. He challenged the system. He called out hypocrisy. He wasn't willing to conform to how people thought a rabbi or religious leader should be. He spoke against the system and he refused to be intimidated by the people in power. Jesus wasn't nice and the church needs to stop trying to be nicer than Jesus. The world doesn't look at us and go, oh, they're nice. Let's all be Christians. Now, I'm not saying be nasty. I'm saying be good, be holy, be, be righteous, be godly, stand up for the right things at the right time. You know, we think we're doing the right thing, but maybe we're just avoiding conflict. Look at Revelation 2 for one second with me. Jesus is writing to the seven churches in, 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 in Turkey, and one of them is called Thyatira, and look what he writes to them. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. No, I don't think there was a woman in that church called Jezebel, because that would have been a bit of a giveaway. You know, here's my new girlfriend, Jezebel. I don't think she would have lost. But there was a woman there who was like Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was controlling. She was manipulative. She was teaching false things. And she was leading people into immorality. And the guys in the church and the leaders in the church were tolerating it. Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate her. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they, unless they repent. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're tolerating someone that I find intolerable. You are more tolerant than Jesus. 
And I will not tolerate this any longer. Jesus is saying, because you're tolerating her, I'm going to deal with her. But I'm not only going to deal with her, I'm going to deal with everyone who, sorts, who, 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 who she influences, who, who, who aligns themselves with her. Stop tolerating things that God won't tolerate. Stop ignoring things that aren't okay. Stop avoiding conflict when something is causing real harm. There are some battles that need to be fought. The outcome is too important. The stakes are too high. So let me ask you, what are you, what, what's worth fighting for for you? What are your convictions? What are the things that you will say, I would speak up about that? What's the things that you would say, I will not let that happen? For most of us, let's be honest, it's our families, isn't it? Yeah? Anyone harms your family, they're in trouble. Anyone touches my wife or my son or my family, I'll be doing prison ministry happily from the inside. Okay? I don't care. You just, you don't go near my family. Okay? You just don't. And most of us would feel the same. And we should. That's right. But what about other things? Are there no other things that you have a conviction about? Injustice, human trafficking, abuse, exploitation, racism, the government taking your freedom, the right to worship together on a Sunday, laws that harm people, whatever that is. We've got to be people who have some convictions in our lives. Some things that we're willing to say, I cannot tolerate that. I can go so far, but I can't go any further. There's a line in the sand, and if that is crossed, you're going to bump into me. I'm going to confront it. I'm going to fight that. I'm going to battle against that. Our hearts need to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And David arrives on the scene and nobody's willing to fight. Everybody's willing to tolerate Goliath, but David's not. Look at verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, by uncircumcised Philistine, he's not trying to be rude. He's just saying, this guy is not in covenant with God. And we are. And we, as God's people, should not be tolerating this. He's the first person. If you read... If you read 1 Samuel 17, up until verse 26, nobody has mentioned God once. These are the first words from David. He arrives on the scene and he immediately brings God into the situation. And he says, who does this big oaf think he is? Not because I'm offended by him, but because he's offending the Lord our God. It's not my reputation at stake. It's not my fragile ego. It's not my pride. It is about the reputation of the Lord our God is at stake here. And I can't tolerate this, so I will take him on. Next question is we need to ask ourselves, who's the real enemy? Who's the real enemy? Because look at what happens. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Said David. Just sounds like a wee brother, doesn't he? Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. Goliath isn't the only opposition David faces that day. Before he even gets a chance to go near the giant, he faces this brutal, harsh criticism from his own brother. He questions his job. With whom did you leave those few sheep? You're a nobody. Go and look after your wee sheep. Who do you think you are? 
You're not important. You're insignificant. He criticizes David's character. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You see, it's one thing to criticize what you do. What you do. It's another thing to criticize who you are. Years ago, I spoke somewhere and somebody in that meeting sent me a four-page email afterwards. Remember that? I remember it. It was the year 2011. And I still remember it. And you know what? They criticized what I did and maybe they were right in that, but then they began to make assumptions about my motives. They began to question my heart. And can I say to you, I'm not perfect in many things, but my heart that day was trying to do the right thing. I'd gone into a prison and I'd tried to preach a Christmas message and they didn't like me telling them. This person who worked for a church didn't like me saying that these were sinners that needed to repent and come to Jesus. And I had four pages turn me apart because I told them that they needed Jesus and they were sinners and they needed the blood of Jesus. But they started questioning me and my motives and my heart. And that's what really got to me. And that went round and round and round and round my head for days. And I then began to question my own heart. Because nobody likes criticism. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, I'd love somebody to criticize me today. I'd love somebody just to tear me to shreds today. You know, no matter how confident we seem on the outside, it gets to us, doesn't it? It gets to us. And the littlest comment can go round and round and round and round your head all day long. But here's what I notice here. He questions David's heart. He says, "How I, I know how conceited your heart is. What was the very thing that God said he loved most about David? I am looking for a man after my own heart. The thing that God loved most about David was the thing that others criticized about him. And what you will find sometimes in life is that the enemy will go after the thing in you that God loves the most. He will attack the area of your life that God has put something within you that is unique and different to the people around you and he'll make you think you're weird. He'll make you question your motives. He'll make you think you're odd, that you that you just don't fit, that you're a weirdo. But it's actually because God has put that within you and it's the very thing he's going to use. So the enemy goes after it. Why would the enemy attack something that's not that important? He questions his heart. And he says, you only came to watch the battle. You're just a spectator. Go home. And you know what? If I had been David, you know what I might have been tempted to do? Take out my sling. Pick up a stone. Look at Eliab. And put him down. The temptation would have been to fight my brother instead of to fight the enemy. And isn't that what we do in the church so often? We have an enemy called the devil. We have an enemy called the world, the flesh, and the devil. But instead of focusing on our energy and attention on the world, the flesh, and the devil, we focus on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we strike them down. Strike them down. We find fault. And it's not that hard to do. But we have a real enemy. And we're in a real battle. If I dropped you in eastern Ukraine right now, you would be very aware you're in a real battle. We are in a real battle against our real enemy right now. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against people, but it's against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not each other. Our battle is Satan and what he's doing in this world. And if we spend our time firing stones at our brothers and sisters, we'll miss the real battle, and we'll not have energy for the real battle, and we'll burn ourselves out for the real battle. Because battles are exhausting. 
bottles take time. And if we waste our time and energy fighting battles with our brothers and sisters, we'll never have the energy to fight the battle against the real enemy. Imagine if David had turned around and knocked his brother out. Everything would have looked very different right now. But David knew. You know what it says? He turned around. David turned around. I love that. He didn't get into it. He didn't break down and cry and go to pieces and say, I was just trying to help. Why are you picking on me? He just turns around and asks somebody else what's going to be done for the guy who kills this guy. Some of us need to learn the turn. Some of us need to learn the turn. That everything that comes against us we don't have to confront with, confront or deal with. Sometimes we just need to turn. We need to turn around and get on with what God has called us to do. Fight what matters most. Lastly, and this is where I'm finishing. Actually, yeah, I'll skip that one. I'll get to my last point. The question we need to ask is this. Is this still my battle? And I really felt this was important. That's why I'm finishing here with this one. Is this still my battle? Is this still my battle? Look at Second Samuel. We've been in First Samuel 17. We're now in Second Samuel 21. Once again, those words should say it all. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Binob, nice guy, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels. Where did we last hear about somebody's spear weighing shekels? Goliath. Remember, they told us how heavy his spear was. Here we are, much later, and we're being told about somebody else. His spearhead weighed 300 shekels. He was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. This is about 20 or 25 years after David kills Goliath. He's king over all Israel and Judah. He's the greatest king Israel ever had. He lives in a beautiful palace. But look what he's doing. The first two words say once again, once again, once again he's fighting the Philistines. In fact, more specifically, he's still confronting Philistine giants. That's what the descendants of Rapha were. There were these genetically mutated people who were just huge. They were giant warriors among the Philistines, just like Goliath had been. You know, there's a saying among Christians, maybe you've heard it, new levels, new devils. New levels, new devils. And that can be true, definitely as you grow in the Christian life. You face new things. You face new obstacles and opposition and challenges. That's absolutely true. But I've also discovered that some old battles and some old struggles and some old enemies keep rearing their ugly heads again and again. David fought the first battle when he was a teenager and he's still fighting the same people when he's a 40-year-old man. And I found that in my own life. That there's battles that I fought as a 15-year-old new Christian that go away for a while, but every now and again in my 20s or my 30s or even in my 40s, now and again they still rear their ugly head. 
Do you know what I'm saying? You think you've conquered it, you think you've dealt with it, and every now and again, it comes to the surface, and you have to fight it all over again. You're not in the same place, you're older, your life looks different, your circumstances have changed. But some of the issues you're facing are the change, are the same. It's not always new devils, new levels. Sometimes it's new levels, same devils. Look at what we read about David, verse 15. David went down with his men to fight the Philistines. And he became exhausted. He's tired of fighting Philistines. He's been doing it his whole life. He's exhausted from fighting giants. You see, David's not weak. He's just weary. He's not weak. He's just weary. And there's a difference. He's still there. He's still showing up. And you know what? He's still willing to fight if he needs to. He's not afraid. He's not weak. He's just weary. Maybe you can relate to that today. You've been through a lot and you're tired. You could do more, but you're tired. Your spirit is willing, but your body is exhausted. And look at what we read in verse 17. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. Somebody else stepped up and did what David had always done. Somebody else decided, David, this is no longer your battle. I'm going to fight this for you. Abishai could see that David was tired, so he said, I'll take this one on. I'll take your place. And look at what the men say. Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. They said to him, we're not going to let you fight like this any longer. We don't want your light to go out. We can see what's happening. We can see that you're tired. We can see that you're weary and we don't want to lose you, David. But if you keep fighting these same battles over and over again because you feel like it's your responsibility or that no one else can do it or that you've just gotten used to fighting and you don't know how to rest, then we know we're going to lose you. The thing that got you crowned is the thing that's going to get you killed. So David, the enemy still has to be taken on. The battle still has to happen. But David, it's no longer your battle. We're now going to take responsibility for that. And some of you need to hear that today. That might once have been your battle. And you know what? It still might be important to you. And you still might be able to do it. But you're weary. And your light has started to go out. And I believe God would say to you, I don't want you to carry the weight of that any longer. It's no longer your responsibility. I know you think you have to do it but let someone else take it on. I know you want to appear strong, and you are. You're not weak, but you are weary. And the grace for that has now lifted from your life. So if you keep fighting that battle, the light inside you is going to go out. It's already dimmed. Your energy is low. It's taken its toll on you. But this is a new season and now it's time for a new strategy. You see, that worked when you were 15 and that worked when you were 30, but it's not going to work today. 
And I know you're worried that if you don't do it, nobody else will do it. But I have other people who will take that on. If it's important to me, leave it with me. And I will raise up people to do it. They'll maybe not do it like you did it. But they will still get it done. It's no longer your bottle. So take a rest and protect your light. And I really believe that's a word from the Lord for some of us this morning. That we're fighting battles that we fought 20 years ago and we're exhausted. And they're important battles and they're things that need to be done. But the Lord would say to you, it's not your battle anymore. I have other things I want you to do. I'm not finished with you. But that's not your battle anymore. Because I see you're weary and I can see your light is going out. And I don't want that to happen in your life. So I'm going to give you new things that will energize you. That will bring life into you. And will fill you with new life and light again. But you need to let that thing go. It's no longer your battle. You're not weak. But you are weary. And I want you to leave that alone.